0: This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. We continue our series, Emotions, Let's Not Be Deceived. Last week, we talked about how we're created in the image of God and that God has emotions, God's a relational being, and that because we're created in His image, we also are created in such a way that we can have relationships with one another. And so when we look at our emotions and uh, the things that sometimes hurt us, and the way we hurt other people sometimes because of our wrong responses, and sometimes total upheaval can happen, and we call it Satan and his demons, but the truth is, it's just us and our humanity doing what humans have always done, being led by their emotions instead of being led by God and His Word. We talked about the fact that Jesus, His emotions, uh, you could see clearly in Scripture. At the Garden of Gethsemane, He was in anguish. And he said, let this cup pass from me. At the tomb with Lazarus, he wept there at the tomb. He was sad. And then we see all through the Gospels the compassion that Jesus had with his disciples. And so Jesus, who was both God and man, he had emotions just like we have emotions. We establish the fact that we're made up spirit, soul, and body. You see, all of this really in the first chapters of Genesis. And we'll go back to there uh, this morning. So we're made up spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit is where we can commune with God if the Holy Spirit is in our spirit. Our spirit is where our conscience is. It's where our intuition is. And it's the highest part of our being. All through Scripture, you always see God's order. Spirit first, soul second, body third. But we live in a society, we live in a culture that always turns this upside down. Body first, soul next, spirit last. And so God's order is spirit, soul, and body. And I even mentioned that when we pray for someone in intercession, we should start by praying for their spirit, then move toward praying for their soul, and then even the physical body, especially if you're making hospital visits and you're visiting someone who's physically Hurting. So those are the things that we talked about last week. It was our introduction of the series, Emotions, Let's Not Be Deceived. But this morning's message specifically is knowing who you are. I've told you this before, but many years ago now, my brother's son, Caleb, was doing something wrong. I don't know exactly what he was doing wrong, but he was doing something he was not supposed to be doing. He knew he wasn't supposed to be doing And there he was doing it, and just at that same time that he was doing that, my brother came walking up his dad, and he caught him red-handed. Now, I'm not sure what red-handed means, but you know what I mean. He got caught, and he was so caught that he couldn't even lie his way out of his situation. He stood there caught, dumbfounded. He didn't know what to do with himself. And so he just closed his eyes and said, I'm not here anymore. (laughs) He did not want to be Caleb anymore at that time. Let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just didn't want to be you anymore because things had gotten to be so tough? And uh, all of us have experienced that. And you will to the day you die. There will be times in your life that you just want to close your eyes, say, I'm not here anymore. But you know what? It doesn't work. you got to live and walk in reality. And so sometimes when these things happen and there's emotional upheaval and it's controlling us. You remember last week I kept saying this, and I'll say this over and over again throughout this series. Our emotions have to always be subservient to our spirit. Spirit has to be first and has to be subservient to our mind and even our will. Emotions have to come way down the line here. If we get this flipped over, which I would say most of the time that's what we do, everything gets in disarray. We get away from the Word of God. We're not relying on the Spirit of God. And then there we go, causing all kind of problems in our relationships with other people. So when we find ourselves having those times where we just want to say, I'm not here anymore. And we begin to cope with what we feel deep inside. If we're not careful, we'll lose sight of who we are. So I want to ask you this. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? When you look in the mirror, do you like the person that you see? Now, I've got an object lesson up here. I'm not sure where they went, but I bet I'll be up here in a few minutes. Do you know who you are? When you look in the mirror, do you like what you see as the person that you are? Because I want to tell you this. There is absolutely no way that you and I can continually act differently than how we see ourselves. We can spend time with one another and just be observing, not judgmental, just be observing and being honest. Listening to what we talk about, our manner, the way we are, and it will tell us how we see ourselves. You can be with me and you can say, Pastor Chris sees himself this way, both good and bad. <laughs> I can be with you or you can be with one another and it will become very clear if you think this way. I begin to see why and who they see themselves to be because we can't continually act differently than the way we see ourselves. Now, we can get pretty good at it, and we can try hard to be another way, but the truth is, the way we really see ourselves, we always come back to it. That's why it's so important. Young people, listen to me carefully. We've got to be in the Word of God, not just here, but even when you're at home, be in the Word of God to see who God says that you are, and to operate from that perspective. And so, how we think about ourselves determines our actions day by day by day by day. How you see yourself, your whole personality shapes up. If You say, well, people, they just don't seem like uh, they like me too much. Well, it may not be them, it may be you. It may be how you see yourself. And it may be how you're acting out how you see yourself. And so our life is a sum total of how we see ourselves. And how we see ourselves causes us to act in certain actions and even have certain feelings. It's like dominoes I always say how we think determines what we do, determines how we feel. And so our life is a sum total of how we think. And each day as we act on what we're thinking, days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years go by. We're being either conformed to the image of Jesus Christ or we're being conformed to another image that God has nothing to do with. And so Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7, a very brief verse and only a starting place. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. So how you think about yourself is the way you'll be. You may try to discipline yourself to be a different way, but the truth is you cannot be different than how you see yourself. Uh, you kids who are in school, you will see as you're coming along, what you're watching is you're watching young people around you And you say, one week she's this way, one week he's that way, and it's like, I never know who they are. I don't know if they know who they are. Well, they're struggling with this very thing. They're probably trying to imitate someone that they think is cool. Or a girl trying to imitate someone who she thinks, people think that she's pretty and that she's popular and outgoing. And and so young people a lot of times, and even adults, the truth is, all the way up to senior citizens, most of the time are trying to, Copy someone, imitate someone. They're trying to be something other than what they see in the mirror because they do not necessarily like what they see in the mirror when they look uh, into their life. And, you know, the Bible teaches us in James that the Bible is like a mirror. We look into it, and it teaches us what's right and what's wrong and what to do about what's wrong. So we need to be in the Word of God. So I want to ask you this question. What do you think about yourself? If somebody were to say, tell me who you are, What would you write down? Second thing is this. What would other people write down about you? If you said, write on a piece of paper what you think about me. Who am I? All right. The third thing is this. What does God's word say about you and who you are? So here's the question. And forget your emotions for a moment, if that's possible. Which one is the real you? Who you say that you are, who other people would say that you are, or who God says that you are in his word. Well, as Christians, good Christians, we would say, Oh, it's who God says that we are. Second question is this. Do you know what God says about you? You say, Well, you know, I know some things. Have I, I've never really looked into it. We're looking into it these weeks ahead. We're looking into it. You say, Why would we do that? This is why. This is not psycho babble stuff. If, you know, if this type of teaching bothers you, you know, I'll be done in about eight weeks or so. But I'm telling you, it's going to be good for you, and it's good for me too. I've taught these things before, and it's good for me to go back through these things. But listen to this. Knowing what the Bible says about you as his child will shape how you think about yourself, how you think about your spouse, how you think about your children, how you think about the people at school, the people at work. Knowing what God says about mankind and specifically about you, if you will believe it and choose to walk in it, It'll change how you see yourself, and it won't be a discipline of positive thinking. It'll be a renewal of the mind which affects the actions, which affects the emotions, and that's what this series is all about. So probably a lot of you know that my wife likes to paint, and so uh, she's got all kind of painting things at our house. I used to go to sleep every night in a master bedroom, but no longer. Uh, we sleep upstairs in a smaller room because the master bedroom is her studio. And that's a whole nother discussion. But I will say this: she realized her love for art, doing crafts and things, as a result of her going through breast cancer. It was like it took that for that part of her to come out, and I'm amazed at what she's able to do. And I hang some of her artwork at a little cafe in Germantown called Java Cafe. You ought to drop in there sometime and see it. And uh, she's made probably close to a $1,000 over a few years. But anyway, this is one of her little sets that she can carry around with her if she wants to paint something away from the house. And it's got all these different colors. I don't know anything about art or painting. But I do know this. You you dip your uh, brush in it, and you can mix them up and make different colors, and you can paint all kind of things. Now, I want to ask you this. Who in your life, has painted a picture of who you are as an individual. It probably, of course, started with your mom and dad, whether good or bad. They may have done the best that they could do, but they were really faulty in it. And no mom and dad's perfect. All of us are trying our best, but none of us are perfect. But who painted the first picture of you from that young age and held it up in front of you, this is what you're to be like? Who is that person in your life? And what were the paints that they used? And not only that, how have you painted your own life? What vision do you have of yourself? It was said about Ronald Reagan that wherever he was, he knew exactly what he looked like, wherever he was. I guess that came from his days of acting. If we're not careful, we can be in a constant state of acting out how we see ourselves. As a man thinks in his heart, So is he. So we have to ask ourselves this. Exactly how do I think in my heart? Has my life with God been hijacked by someone or some people who have put up before me, this is the way you're to be, this is the way you're to look? Have I gotten so focused on these things in my own life that I have created for me a certain type of person I want to be? And it's not so much godliness and a renewed mind with the Word of God is basically a life of coping and being a certain way. It is a studied effort of change. Instead of it being a very natural, spirit-filled way according to obeying and abiding in the principles of the Word of God. So, who is painting the picture of your life? Young people aren't asking, I won't ask, ask all of us this, but young people listen. Is the media painting the image that you have of yourself. Your cell phones, what you listen to, what you look at, shapes up how you see yourself. Are you imitating someone that everybody thinks is wonderful instead of just simply being who you are? Maybe it's your friends. You know, the best kind of friend is this, the one who thinks this way. What can I say, what can I do to add value to your life not wanting you to act out an image I've got for you as if I'm God, but I want to do anything I can, say anything I can, give you anything that I can so that you come nearest the ideal that God has for you and that was in his mind before the foundation of the world. That, my friend, is a great friend. The kind of friend that's always trying to get you to be the way they want you to be, you got to be careful there. There's a word. You can research it later. Go Google codependency. You'd be shocked how many relationships are codependent relationship, and whoever is the strong person in that relationship is determined that that other person will become like what I envisioned them to be, and somehow they never realize. They're playing God in their life. Oswald Chambers said, never become an amateur providence in the life of another person. It's wrong. And really, it's evil and wicked. We need to encourage one another in the Holy Word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, because I want to tell you, being conformed to my image is not that great. Being conformed to your image is not that great. But if all of us is looking to Jesus Christ and saying, God, by your spirit and the washing of your word, make me more like Jesus from glory to glory to glory to glory. That's God's purpose. So let me ask you, whoever's painting the image that you're trying to live out, it can only come from their view of the world. Do they have a biblical worldview or do they have a world worldview? What paints have they used? And maybe they're still developing you now. Maybe they have a great influence in your life and they're basically controlling you to be what they want you to be. What paints are they using? Their own worldview? or their own damaged emotions. That's why we have to be so careful in our counseling. And I want to tell you, I learned this in 2016, that's why we have to be so careful in discipling someone without having been scripturally discipled ourselves. We've got to be careful or we will be insistent that you will become the way I am. And my friend, listen, we cannot do that. We want people to be the way God has made them to be from wherever they're from, from their background, and God can take an absolute mess and He can make something absolutely beautiful out of it. But it's gonna come from the principles of the Word of God. It's gonna come from the Holy Spirit. It's not going to come from me making you like me, or you making me like you, or you making one another like you. Yes, there is an authority you got God's authority, which is supreme. Everything comes from that. But then, listen, you have God's delegated authority, and that does include your mom and your dad. So I want to encourage you, young people, and really all of us. Some of you are still being affected by your parents, even at an older age. You don't have to fight your mom and dad. When you become aware that maybe they're not as far along as they should be spiritually, You say, well, what do I do? I'm growing in the Lord. I'm spending time in God's word. I'm seeing things that I've never seen before. But my mom and dad are going absolutely nowhere. And they're going there fast. What do I do as a young person? And maybe you're listening to this message right now or later through the Internet. And that's your question. My mom and dad are either lost or just saved. And that's about as far as they've gone. I want to encourage you. Get into the Word of God. Apply your life to the Word of God. Walk by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Don't argue with your mom and dad. Try your best not to argue with them, but do not compromise the Word of God. Keep moving on. It almost seems upside down for me to say that because most of the time we're thinking children need to obey their parents, and of course they do. But we're living in a society now, we got children raising children. And if you find yourself in that state, don't feel lost and don't feel alone. Stay in the Word of God. God's going to see you through it. He's going to grow you up. But moms and dads are our delegated authority. That is from God, and we're to obey our parents. Parents, you have the primary responsibility to disciple your own children. It just simply cannot be just the local church alone because we're not even here on the property long enough to do it thoroughly. It's mom and dad's primary responsibility to disciple and to grow up their own children so we must have a biblical view of ourselves we must correct our erroneous views of ourselves and look only through the lens of scripture as we think about who I am not who I think that I am not what other people have projected onto me but who does God say that I am and what am I to do. Now, with that in mind, look at Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. Look at what the Apostle Paul said, and it's hard for me to explain this verse because it sounds somewhat convoluted, but um I love this passage. It's a life verse for many, many people. But Paul said to the church at Galatia in chapter two, verse twenty, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. You say, what does that mean exactly? I hear you say that often. Well just picture Jesus Christ on the cross and he has died for all of your sin and mine. I would say the majority of Christians, that's as far as they know. It has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has to do with the teaching in a lot of cases. We know that Christ died for us. My sins have been forgiven. I have a home in heaven, period. But there's so much more to all that happened at the cross of Christ. And Paul says it right there with the word with. Not only did Christ die for you, but Christ died as you on the cross. You say, well, I don't understand this because I did not live 2,000 years ago. But listen, in the mind of God, you did. So this is how God sees you in me. He sees us crucified with Christ. Now, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. The emotions have to be subservient to the spirit and the mind and the will and you say, this is hopeless. Or someone else would say, are you talking about the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Pill? Absolutely not. This is what I'm saying. By the indwelling Holy Spirit who is God, by his indwelling power that you're surrendered to, you can mark it down The emotions will stay in the place that they're to be and they will not get over the top of the spirit, mind, and will. That's why you must surrender and live controlled by the Holy Spirit because if you do not trust me on this, I know I sound like a broken record, so be it. Maybe I am. I'm God's broken record. Amen. It's all biblical. But listen, if you will choose to think and live that way, what will happen? It will become more Automatic for you to let the Spirit of God carry you along. And he brings Bible verses back to your mind as you live life in the day by day. And what's happening is your mind is changing. And that makes your actions change. And it changes your feelings, your emotions. But not knowing this and not surrendering to this, I'm afraid that what we'll do, Because as a man thinks in his heart so easy, we will live our lives acting out what was programmed into our mind, will, and emotions from childhood, from our moms and dads, school teachers, and people in authority over us. They had the paintbrush, and they had the paint. What was the paint? What was their worldview? How did they guide you if we do not see that I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And then he goes on to say in Galatians 2.20, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I believe that's talking about simply trusting God. I'm living by faith. In other words, I don't understand everything, but the Bible tells me this, I'm going to walk in it and I'm going to trust Him with the outcome. So I live by faith in the Son of God, And notice this. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. Think about this. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. You say, well, how can you say that God loved you and God gave himself up for you and you were not in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ was crucified? It's because God knew you even before the foundation of the world, because God knows all things. When he saw Jesus on the cross crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He also saw you on that cross. And I want to tell you, he loves you. And Jesus gave himself up for you on the cross for your sin. And so, in this passage of Galatians 2.20, Paul's not bragging here. Paul is simply stating the discovery that he made that he was in Christ Jesus. The title of this message is Knowing Who You Are. This is who you are if you're a child of God. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That is your true identity. And listen, you say, but. I want to tell you, Pastor Chris, boy, my identity was painted by people that I know now, did not paint very well into my life. Okay, now you know it. I'm sorry. You know it. And only you can change it. I certainly can't change it for you. We can't change it for one another. And in the process of changing, be very conscious if you're hurting your spouse. Be very conscious if you're hurting your children by your perception, when your perception is not through the lens of Scripture, and you're not carried along by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're hurting your spouse, you're hurting your children, and if you're a child, you may be hurting your own mom and dad if you're not walking according to the Word of God. Paul also said in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's talking about being strengthened by God himself himself Inside, in the inner man, mind, will, emotions. The truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God controlling the individual. And listen, your human will that you can give control to God with, and only you can. Nobody can do this part for you. I'm telling you, you're all alone and being surrendered by God. Each Individual, children, your mom and dad cannot control your will ultimately. It has to be controlled by God. So any changes we need to make in our lives, we have the promise that God will empower us to do it. We're going to be talking about guilt. We're going to be talking about anger. We're going to be talking about loneliness. We're going to be talking about jealousy and a couple of more things. And I would not want you to walk away from here thinking that I'm teaching that you need to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you need to do these things. Because I want to tell you, that is the quickest way to failure. It has to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, we will all be stuck in these emotions that have been damaged since our childhood and there are repercussions that's affecting our spouses and our children in all manner of relationships. Now, remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. When you read that passage, what he's talking about is this. You need, and I need, to love God with our total being. Everything that there is of us. You and I need to be given over to him and controlled by him. And this is what will happen. You'll love yourself and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to tell you, if you love God with your whole heart, you're going to have a healthy love of yourself. And therefore, you're going to have a healthy love of other people. Now, we said last week that our emotions are God given. Now, you say, well, man, I'm on Prozac. I'm on all these medications to adjust my emotions. But I want to tell you, our culture is addicted to prescription medications and also illegal drugs. You say, well, why is everybody doing this? It's what I'm talking about right now. It is damaged emotions. It's wrong views of how people see themselves, causing them to take wrong actions, causing them to have wrong feelings, messed up relationships, and then they just get absolutely overwhelmed and overcome by life itself, and they began to take something to deal with this. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. We talked about this last week. I won't explain all this. According to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, we're made in the image of God. So God gave us a mind so we could think his thoughts after him and communicate with him. He gave us emotions so we could love and have other people uh, love us and emotions uh, that so that we could experience God in relationships with other people. He gave us a will so we could choose to submit to God And enjoy his perfect will for our life. I believe this. You cannot know the perfect will of God for your life unless you first surrender to him and walk in him saying yes to him over and over again. And then his perfect will emerges right before you. Not to see this and know this and walk in this. You could spend 40, 50, 60 years on a path that God never intended you to be on. So man is a complex Personal being created for relationships with God and other people. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. This verse is before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Genesis 2.25, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Why? Because they had not sinned. How they saw God, and how they saw themselves, and then how they saw one another, was perfect. And so there was no shame and no feelings. They were created with a perfect image of themselves with nothing to be embarrassed about. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What we see there is God's will for the family. God wanted man and woman to come together and to be fruitful and multiply and have children who would eventually have children who would eventually have children and the whole earth be populated with those children who were created in the image of God. It's a picture of God's ideal for the family. And I believe it's also a picture of the Great Commission. And so that's why we need to be disciple-makers who make disciples. I think Bible study is wonderful, and I think you ought to do that for certain. Always be studying your Bible. But listen, if you think Bible study is an end game, you've been deceived. We need to be multiplying. We need to be giving away what God has given to us and helping others get moving forward. First of all, to be saved. Secondly, to be disciples. Can you imagine, if right after you're saved, if somebody would stand and show you these things early on? How much trouble would be averted? We have to do our part as Christians and make disciples of other people. So we see in this passage, Genesis 128, that God designed man for significance and achievement. Not just to lay around the garden naked. He had something to do. He was tending the garden. I did that to make you laugh on purpose. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And so, you know what they did. They ate the fruit. Sin came into the world. And listen to this. Man is a triunity. We established that last week. I've got to move on. Spirit, soul, and body. So here's the question. Which part of man died? God said, if you eat of this, you shall surely die. Which part of him died? Adam and Eve did not die physically that day. They ate of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. In fact, Adam lived in his body for more than 900 years. So his body did not die. Secondly, they did not die psychologically that day. Talking about the soul. Adam continued to think, feel, and use his will for another 900 years. Their bodies began to die, but their souls, their personalities, still function even though they were affected by sin. So if their bodies did not die, and if they were still functioning relationally with the personality, so the soul did not die, Then what died? Well, obviously, the part that separated them from God was they died that day spiritually. And listen, that's what's wrong with human beings worldwide. Born, according to Ephesians 2, dead in trespasses and sins. That means their spirit is dead. You and I, children of God, children of light, We're to be the one God uses by His indwelling Holy Spirit to show them how to enter into a personal relationship with God because I want to tell you, most of the people they're surrounded by, they don't even know. We have to tell them. So this is what Paul said about fallen mankind. You see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. This describes a person who has a body They have a soul, and so they can relate to others, but they have a dead spirit. Ephesians 4.18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That doesn't mean that they can't be a scientist or an architect. They can be extremely intelligent, but it says right here they're darkened in their minds. The Spirit of God is not in their spirit. And He says, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And so what happened? The soul and the body took charge is what happened. So this is what I want to say. As you're dealing with people in your life, it may be your spouse, It may be your mom and dad, or it may be your children, it may be your employer, all these people all around you, even in your church. You're dealing with people, some who are still darkened in their minds. And what you're saying and how you're wanting to relate, it's just simply not there for them. They're darkened in their minds. Have you ever tried your best to get someone to see the message of the cross of Jesus Christ And they were so bored. The reason they're bored is because they're darkened in their mind. The Bible says they're blinded by the spirit of this age. That's what's really wrong. And that is what's holding back the spread of the gospel around the world is this. And so Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 tells us what happened, talking about after they sinned. The Bible says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So you know what? Here we are in 2017. Guess what mankind continues to do? We're steadily sewing fig leaves together. But they sure have gotten real expensive. I mean, we have designer fig leaves. But I guarantee you this, we're going to go out with our covering. Christians and non-Christians are going to go out with a covering, but it seems to me like more and more people are going out without being covered up. So this is the result. Remember, God created man in His own image and His own likeness. They didn't even know they were naked. There was nothing to be ashamed. They had a right view of God, a right view of themselves as an individual, and a right view of them as a couple, as individuals. But then they sinned. They disobeyed God. Verses 8 through 10 of Genesis 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. You know why they heard the sound? Because they were accustomed to hearing the sound of God in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The reason our churches are not filled up all over the city of Memphis and Atlanta, Georgia, and Washington, D.C., the reason churches are not running over is because many people are hiding from God in darkness and they don't know what to do with themselves. Verse 9, Genesis 3, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now God knows everything. He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where he was. What was Adam doing? He was with Eve, and what were they doing in the bushes? I'm not here anymore. They didn't know what to do with themselves. Verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Listen, I know this sounds like a lot of Bible talk, maybe to some. But listen, this is what's wrong with individuals. What happened in the Garden of Eden spread to all of humanity. This is what we're dealing with as individuals, as couples, as families, children, grandparents, grandchildren, the local church, in every area of our society. What we're talking about now is each individual is dealing with these things, created in the image of God, but darkened into understanding because of a dead spirit. And we have the answer. Nothing can shut down the spread of the gospel except us keeping our mouths closed. If every Christian would simply share their faith just in genuineness, we'd reach the whole world for Christ without electricity. It's absolutely amazing. I finished with this. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Listen to this. Listen to what Paul said. Now here Paul is speaking to the church at Rome, a long way future of what happened in the Garden of Eden. But he's talking about the Garden of Eden. Paul said in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that man's Adam, your great, 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 I don't have enough time to say it all the way back, grandfather. But, uh, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is the state of mankind. And this is the reason there's so much emotional upheaval, not only with those who are lost with a darkened spirit, but also even with believers who view themselves the way mom and dad and people early in life painted the picture of them. How they shaped up an image for themselves. How they shaped up an image by other people. And listen, here's the answer. And only you can do it. Each individual has to say, I'm going to spend time in the Word of God because I'm created in God's image and because He's in my spirit. But I can't act opposite of how I see myself. I'm going to look into the Word of God and I'm going to say, the one who created me, God, how does He see me? What does He say about me? And I'm going to choose to walk in that so that if I do the very reason that I'm even alive and having a being here will begin to emerge. And you'll be a child of God who walks by the Spirit of God, who is a child of the light, and you'll be light in a dark world. Because I want to tell you, this world is dark, and this world, according to Scripture, is passing away. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.